Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at That's Byte.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P A T R E O N.com slash BP Show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is the Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. It was probably the most boring Super Bowl in history, and Donald Trump's team won. <laughs> what a bust. Hey, hello everybody. What do you say? Happy Monday. It is Monday, February 4. So good to see you today. Thanks for being with us here. The Bill Press Show. You're very much part of the program. We appreciate that. Good having you with us. Hope you had a, a good weekend. Uh, didn't stay up uh, too late watching the play and the after play last night. Uh, and um, are ready to leap into this new big week with a lot going on. Trouble in Virginia. We'll see how that resolves itself at this time. The governor of Virginia is still insisting he is not going to resign. He has apologized, and he wants to move forward with the business of Virginia with no friends standing alongside of him any longer. Uh, and the president of the United States heading in to give the State of the Union tomorrow night in front of uh, the joint houses of Congress, pledging, uh, promising that he's going to give a, a message of unity, bringing the country together bringing both sides together, and yet yesterday could not resist sending out yet another tweet attacking Democrats and calling them soft on terrorism because they won't give him money for his wall. It goes on and on. We're right in the middle of it, right in the heart of the action here in Washington, D.C. We'll tell you what's going on and give you a chance to sound off about it. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. On Twitter, at BP Show. Great lineup of guests today, starting with Kyle Kondik from the University of Virginia Center for Politics, where we'll talk Virginia and Ralph Northam and all of the above. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yeah. Just a couple of other stories making news. Well, as you mentioned, last night was the Super Bowl, 
And uh, yeah, about that. Donald Trump's team, the New England Patriots, did win. Uh, they won 13-3 to was the final score. What now, a slog. To- <laughs> it was... Not a very exciting. I didn't watch any of the game. I read some of the write-ups about it, and the, and, and the consensus is this. Was, we had the game on, you know, but it was it was boring. That, that's what I was gonna. Everybody seems to, this was one of the most boring Super Bowls ever. Halftime, it was three to nothing. It was three to nothing at halftime. It was three to three going into the fourth quarter. Right, and then and uh, still not obviously from the score. Not one touchdown not one scored touchdown. in there was three quarters. One single touchdown in the fourth quarter by the New England Patriots. Uh, Tom Brady, the ageless Tom Brady, won another Super Bowl. I'll play this clip from Andrew Whitworth from the L.A. Rams. He was asked how upset he was that they didn't win. This was after the game. I don't give a crap if you have a Hall of Fame bust, if you're, you know, been a Pro Bowler or win 20 Super Bowls. At the end of the day, you're all going to die, and you're all going to have the opportunity to be, play football or not be playing football. And who you are, how you carry yourself, whether you pout and, and feel sorry for yourself is the only thing that's going to matter because that's what yeah. people are going to remember about you. There you go. So at yeah. the end of the day, we're all going to die. We're so all who cares die. if we win yeah. the Super Bowl or not, right? Right, right. Uh, By so, the way, you do have to say, I mean, for Brady and Bell, I mean, that's six Super Bowls. It's a big deal. That's so, a big deal. Yeah. I, it's, I mean, I, there's no denying it. I don't like them. I think they're terrible, but uh, you can't deny how good they are. If only he weren't a Trumper, I might even like him a little bit. A little bit but, more. Yeah. Uh, have you gotten on board with this whole robot vacuum craze, these Roomba vacuums? I've seen one. I think they're ridiculous. Okay. Well, people have these. Yeah. It'll yeah. vacuum your house for you while you're yeah. away. You don't have to do the vacuuming. <laughs> it cleans the house for you. Uh, well, they are actually expanding. It's not just going to be a vacuum cleaner. There are now robot lawnmowers. Robot lawnmowers. Oh, no, 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 no. I've seen one of those. Oh, yeah. Uh, iRobot, which is the company behind Roomba, they've been working on a robotic lawnmower, and they said that they should be coming out this year. So you will no longer have to mow your own lawn. It will have You'll have a robot that will be able to take care of it for you. Uh, those things are really weird. You know, it just keeps moving around and it gets to the edge, you know, and then it's sort of the wheels or something tells it, got to back up. Yeah. Yeah. I don't like it. (laughs) This is the Bill Press Show. What do you say, everybody? <laughs> oh, pardon me. Boy, what a way to start. Just got a little cough in my throat there, but now it's gone, and I can tell you, it is the Bill Press Show, the morning after the most boring Super Bowl in history. Yeah, and Donald Trump's team won. I mean, there was nothing to like about that Super Bowl. <laughs> what do you say? Unless you're from New England, and you got to give credit to Tom Brady and Bill Belichick for the uh, sixth Super Bowl that they have managed to win together. That's a big deal. Great to see you on this Monday, February 4. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the actions of Big Week today. We've got the State of the Union address tomorrow. This is the delayed State of the Union address where the White House tells us, they had a uh, conference call for us White House reporters on Friday, uh, saying the president's going to be stressing a theme of National unity, bringing the country together. Uh, yeah, two years uh, after two years of being the most divisive president, maybe ever. But we got all that to talk about and a whole lot more uh, here on the Bill Press Show as we join you online, as always, on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. 
Joining you also on the radio uh, statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks, all over Chicago and the greater Chicago area on WCPT, and nationwide, coast-to-coast, simulcast on Free Speech TV if you're part of the DirecTV network. Uh, it's good to see you today. I'm going to change format uh, a little bit today. Usually we start out this first half hour uh, just you and me talking about the news of the day. We'll get to that at uh, the next half hour. But this first half hour, we're going to take a break because we have a chance uh, to talk to a good friend of ours from the University of Virginia's uh, Center for Politics, Center for Politics, Managing Director of their Crystal Ball, Kyle Kondik. Hello, Kyle. Good morning. And lots of Virginia news to talk about at this moment. Ralph Northam is still the governor of Virginia. How long does he last? Uh, well, I mean, I, I think that he might be hoping that this just blows over. I don't know if it necessarily would, but... but uh, Hard know, he, for it to blow yeah, over. Yeah, he gave that press conference, which I'm sure many, many listeners heard or heard about uh, on Saturday that was widely panned. And I think the whole idea of that press conference was to try to, you know, pr- sort of sort of restore a little bit of his support. And, and it actually had the opposite effect in that after the press conference... Uh, Senators Tim Kaine and Mark Warner, who, other than Ralph Northam, were the top Democratic officials in Virginia. Um, they had previously not directly called for him to resign. They did call for him to resign after that press conference. So, too, did Representative Bobby Scott, who is a, uh, a longstanding uh, House member, African-American House member from um, uh, from Virginia. Uh, and so but, you know, then yesterday kind of nothing, nothing really happened. Uh, and so we're all just kind of waiting to see how. this. Uh, except he did summon his aides to the governor's mansion last night for an yes. unscheduled um, meeting, obviously weighing his options. But let's go back for those people. Uh, there may be some uh, who are not yet uh, aware of what this whole controversy is all about. It happened on, I believe, Friday when somebody found and published, unbelievable, this had never surfaced before, yep. uh, from 1984, the his page, his own page, in his medical school, East Virginia Medical University, right. I think, whatever, yearbook. Right. And on that page, it showed his picture, a little bit about him, and a photograph of two men side by side, one of them in blackface and one of them in a KKK white robe and hood. I mean, shocking, stunning. Northam says he never saw that page, never saw that picture, that page of his own yearbook until somebody showed it to him on Friday. And at first, as you point out, he said, well, I'm not sure which one is me. Well, right. and he also he also apologized for it, and and sort of he, he never specifically said who who it was, but he sort of suggested he was he was in the picture, <clears throat> right, and, right, and then he tried to go back on that on Saturday. On Saturday, he holds a news conference, a big state. By the way, by that time, already several people, leading Democrats, had called on him to resign. Some of them automatic, meaning people running for president, you know, right. Kirsten Gillibrand. When when I heard her right away, I thought, oh, God, here we go again. Yeah. But then I looked at it, then others started piling on. But Saturday, he has a news conference. People thought maybe he might resign or he'd yeah. have something to show that it wasn't him or something, whatever. But instead, as you point out, number one, he said, no, I've now realized, I now believe I wasn't either one of those guys. So again, what the hell is it doing on his page? 
Well, and, and he was trying to say, say that, that there were several other mistakes in the yearbook. I, I, I frankly have thought that, that it was incumbent on the governor to try to find other mistakes in the yearbook, because if, if that is true. Yeah. And, and I don't believe that, that they have. And that's not to say that there aren't, but um, that, there, I thought there needed to be more than what he presented. Um, and, and he just hasn't presented that yet. Right. So he said, no, I'm neither one of those guys. Um, and um, we, we ought to let's hear a little bit of him on Saturday. So he started out by asking the people of Virginia to uh, forgive and move on. I asked my colleagues, I asked Virginians uh, to accept my word, uh, to realize that I have made mistakes in my past, to offer forgiveness, uh, and then let's all as a commonwealth move forward. Which, uh, you know, very positive thinking there. He was hoping that's what the people of Virginia would and would allow him to do, as you point out, after that news conference uh, went the other way. But he did say there again that I am neither one of these guys is me. When I was confronted with the images yesterday, I was appalled that they appeared on my page. But I believe then and now that I am not either of the people in that photo. Now, if he had left it there, that might have been one thing. But then he goes on to say, the same year, if I didn't do blackface in that photo, the same year I did somewhere else. That same year, I did participate in a dance contest in San Antonio, in which I darkened my face as part of a Michael Jackson costume. I look back now and regret that I did not understand the harmful legacy of an action like that. That's a hell of a defense. Boy, it sure is. <laughs> I mean, so he did say, and he, and he joked about the fact that he did. He put only a little bit of black shoe polish on right. his face because he said, because I don't know about any of you guys, if anybody of you ever tried that, you know shoe polish is hard to get off. Well, as I some mean, people talk on, about tone depth. As some people on Twitter were noticing, were noting like, well, how would he know if he had never done it, if he'd never done that before? Yeah, obviously I mean, he had done it before. Uh, right. right. Um, yeah. And, and it was, um, you know, it, it, as I think the press conference moved on, it became like sort of more and more surreal. Um, and... Uh, you know, it, it's just it's just been it's just been a totally crazy um, set of events. And right. you would have thought that all of this pressure would have pushed him out by now. And yet that's not that's just not been the case. Right. Um, so I, I don't know anybody. I mean, the as you point out, both the United States senators, several, I think maybe all the Democratic members of Congress from Virginia, if, if not. Believe so. I, yes, I believe. Yeah. Uh, even. Uh, Hillary Clinton has spoken out. Uh, former, I was, um, I, I was struck by the fact that former Governor Terry McAuliffe, yep. Democrat, who really is responsible largely for Ralph Northam being there, uh, very, it was tough for him, a tough call for him. He said it was sure. the toughest call he ever made, but he just said, Ralph, you can't stay there. He called him and told him that. Uh, and then the chairman of the De Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, came out and said this is just against everything the Democratic Party stands for. I saw former Congressman Jim Moran said we ought to give him a chance, right? Mm -hmm. to, to, well, and, but and, um, but uh, other than that, he doesn't have any friends left, right? Uh, so, uh, uh, <clears throat> Doug Wilder, uh, former, oh, former very, Virginia governor. Very important. Uh, Wilder, um, uh, he said he first said he didn't really call for Northam's resignation. And then after the press conference, he did call for the resignation. 
um, which again tells you the the perceptions of the press conference are really really quite poor. And if there's one voice for moral authority in Virginia, it's uh, Doug Wilder, right? Uh, well, yeah, and, respect and, that I think. Yeah, and and uh, um, uh, you know he's obviously a very very important figure. Um, and uh, so again, you have a political establishment on the Democratic side in the state that is very much, I would basically say, unified in calling for for Northam's ouster at this point. The Doug Lauder, the only, well, the first African American elected statewide uh, in Virginia. So I think a lot of people wonder uh, what will ha- what would happen if Northam resigns. So if Northam resigns, Justin Fairfax, the Democratic lieutenant governor, would take over. And so that's why I think that that it, you know. F- for, for Democrats, particularly for Democrats running for president, um, th- th- this was a chance to sort of stand on principle without actually having to be in a position where, you know, you might lose the Democrats' governorship because right. the, the line of succession is that the <clears throat> lieutenant governor um, uh, would take over. Um, Justin Fairfax, 39 years old, former U- deputy U.S. attorney, who happens to be African-American. Yeah. And, um, and a rising star in the Democratic Party. Uh, I, Peter... You ought to go to Justin Fairfax's Twitter account, if you can, and see the statement that he just put out overnight. There's been a new development in this story, and I honestly think it's worth just reading the statement. Uh, okay. When you yeah, get give it. me just a second. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's fine, but you'll, you'll, see, you'll see what I mean in a second. But there's, there's a— but, And while, uh, anyway, while he's yeah. doing that, here, here's a, the problem that I have with this, too. Okay, so Northam's defense basically is, and he says—let me uh, read it here from, from his news conference— Um, In the place and time where I grew up, many actions that we rightfully recognize as abhorrent today were commonplace. That is absolutely true. Yeah, absolutely. I grew up in a segregated town. I grew up where the N-word was used by all of my family and even me, uh, uh, but at one time. But he's talking about 1984, not 1940, not 1950, and he was 25. He wasn't 12 or 13. I mean, so this idea that this is way, way in the past, you know, um, I I saw today that um, somebody was saying, well, you know, Lyndon Johnson used the N-word too. I mean, we're talking, uh, this is 1984 for Ralph And and also, it's as somebody else, I forget, I like to attribute this to someone on, on, I was reading on Twitter about this, but I can't remember, but basically said like, well, think about too, like that you could have a yearbook staff who would think that it would be appropriate to put this picture in this yearbook so that not only whether it was or wasn't Northam in the picture or whether or not he selected that photo, it was also totally fine for that institution at the yearbook to have a picture like well, that. Th- in that there. was my biggest takeaway yeah. when I saw this news is like, obviously this is very bad if this is Ralph Northam, but also but, the school thought yeah. that it was appropriate enough to put it in their yearbook. And then, and you got to remember, these are doctors. These yeah. are the future doctors of America. And this is just like right out in the open in the middle of the 1980s. Right. Right. Uh, I mean, it doesn't speak I, very highly of the culture at that school. I'm yeah. all for giving everybody a second chance, but um, <laughs> he cannot serve as governor of Virginia uh, with this with this background. I I don't believe. I think he has to step down, I, and I believe he will. Terry McAuliffe said he will do the right thing. Well, he's taken a long time to get to it. Uh, you have the I do Justin have the Fairfax, statement from Justin Fairfax, lieutenant governor, who yes, would indeed. become the governor. That's right. This is from uh, this morning. 
Uh, he says an online publication released a false and, and unsubstantiated allegation against Lieutenant, Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax. Lieutenant Governor Fairfax has an outstanding and well-earned reputation for treating people with dignity and respect. He has never assaulted anyone ever in any way, shape, or form. The person reported to be making this false allegation first approached the Washington Post, one of the nation's most prominent newspapers, more than a year ago, around the time of the lieutenant governor's historic inauguration. The Post carefully investigated the claim for several months. After being presented with facts consistent with the lieutenant governor's denial of the allegation, the a the absence of any evidence corroborating the allegation and significant red flags and inconsistencies within the allegation, the Post made the considered decision not to publish the story. Now, what story could that be? Well, um, so this website, Big League Politics, it's kind of a there's a, this, one of the reporters there um, is a former <laughs> Breitbart person. So it's, you know, it's definitely yeah. a right of center yeah. site. But they're the ones who published the Northam picture initially. Um, and there's a, there was a story up overnight. I don't really want to go into the details of it because, as that statement notes, you know, I would say it's been of, investigated and de and the, the, the post apparently the post apparently did. Um, but you can sort of see what's happening here is that there is now, now that, some sort of effort going on um, yeah. to uh, you know to to disqualify Fairfax so that Northam can stay. Now, just to put make it clear, there sure. is a there's a there's a a second line to the governor, and that's the attorney general, who's Democrat Mark Herring, right? Um, who actually deferred to Ralph Northam in. Uh, 2015, right. uh, and and they, you know, uh, uh, Herring was the attorney general, Northam was lieutenant governor. Herring stepped aside so that that Northam could run for well, governor. Well, to the extent that this becomes a right wing effort to smear both Northam and Fairfax, then I think the movement and, hurts itself and, and and lacks a little steam. And here's the, here, a little here's steam. the here's the thing too is that when this website published this Northam picture it was there you could go and just look at it and right, everyone right. Sent, yeah. re sent reporters to, to, to get this uh to get this picture this kind of hazy allegation against justin fairfax um i don't know how much more is there i mean there is a name of a person associated with that i'm not going to not going to use the name yeah, right um but this person has not to my knowledge made this accusation publicly that there was some sort of there's kind of like some Kind of back channel uh, social media com communication going on in which she may have communicated this this allegation, um, but so so but you can just see that there's a moving the, the the story is just sort of evolving all the time, and that's why it's such a difficult um, a difficult story. But just I just want to ask this question: This alleged incident is an alleged incident of sexual assault. Is yes, that, right. And it it uh, uh, supposedly at the 2004 DNC, uh, and that is the that's the latest. Uh, uh, in Virginia, and we'll see how that all plays out. I think um, in terms of the Democratic Party in Virginia and nationwide, it's got to resolve itself pretty soon, wouldn't you say? You would think so, but but again, it's... Um, uh you know, it's, it's, it's I mean, it's, the sooner a, the better. Right, the, right. The sooner, the sooner the better. You know, Virginia is one of the few states that has a, a kind of a, a, an odd year election cycle. The entire uh, House of Delegates, the entire state Senate, are up for election in November. The Democrats have uh, um, uh, one seat deficits in both chambers, uh, and so they very easily could win the chamber back because they actually have a lot of targets. The House of Delegates map, which was sort of a Republican-drawn map that basically fell apart in the 2017 elections. The Democrats ended up getting, mm -hmm. um, uh, picking about 15 seats. Uh, but and, and there's going to be a new House of Delegates 
delegates map um, that will be probably a, a little bit better for Democrats. So so the, 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 it's possible that Virginia could have unified Democratic government following the, 20, the November 2019 elections. Um, right. And I think it's reasonable to be concerned if you're a Democrat that this whole blow up sort of, you know, hangs over all of that. Right. Right. And that, that this could this could trip up those efforts in Virginia to really solidify uh, the Democratic uh, leadership there. So what was the meeting last night all about? Because there was there were rumors during the Super Bowl that he had called an unscheduled staff meeting. No, I, I looked into that this morning. It was an unscheduled staff meeting. He has senior staff there. Justin Fairfax was not there. Right. And and he was weighing how much support he still had left, and even among his senior staff, and what op- options he had. But uh, uh, I the the reports were it was an emotional meeting, but no nothing was resolved. Nothing. And happened. he has yeah. his regular staff senior staff meeting this morning, at which they I'm sure it's, again we'll see weigh these options, including this latest with Justin Fairfax. An, an important detail to remember here too is that in in Virginia, unlike a lot of other states, although it's a separately elected position in some other places, but the uh, lieutenant governor is a separately elected job. So Justin Fairfax is not Ralph Northam's running mate. Um, right. And also, you know, Fairfax does can say, hey, I was elected in my in my own right, too. And, and all all three of the Democratic right. statewide officeholders in Virginia had impressive elections in 2017. Uh, and another reminder, Virginia is one of those weird states. It only has you cannot be reelected in Virginia. So like politically, Northam doesn't face having to run for reelection. That's right. Um he could be impeached. Um, right. You always have that possibility. Nobody's talking about that yet. Um, but uh, but uh, were he to he's and he was elected in November 19, 2017. Right. So he's been there just a little over a year. If he were to step down, then Justin Fairfax would, Fairfax would step up, and and Virginia would would go on. Right. So. Right. Uh, and we'll see. Uh, <clears throat> we'll see what happens on that front. Um, I can't let you go without asking you some other questions here. Sure. I find this very, very curious. There's a lot of talk about um, that the Democratic Party has moved so far to the left. Howard Schultz, for example. Yeah. Uh, does Howard Schultz have a prayer of getting the Democratic nomination? Uh, well, I mean, he's not running for it, <laughs> first of all. And <laughs> well, he's I mean, he, going to. He, no? you, you think he's you think he's just going to switch to the Democrats? And oh, I'm sorry. No, no, no. You're right. He's running. Bloomberg, I, I you mean? No, no, I did mean Howard Schultz. Does Howard oh, Schultz okay. have a chance of becoming president okay. of the United States? I don't really think so. I mean, obviously, you know, someone in his position could be a could be a spoiler. Although, what I think is interesting is that there's this always this fixation on these candidates who might be like economically moderate and socially yeah. liberal, which is basically what Howard Schultz is. And yet, the real like certainly the real swing voters that mattered in Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin basically are the opposite. They're sort of like socially conservative economically moderate to liberal and Trump was actually a pretty decent fit for those voters and I think that but the idea that those voters are going to go to Howard Schultz I mean no way now there also are a separate set of voters basically kind of high-end suburban uh, you know highly educated voters who are transitioning from the Republican (laughs) Party to the Democratic Party and maybe some of those voters could go to Howard Schultz and maybe he would be a spoiler but you know we haven't had a uh, a third-party candidate, a non-major party candidate, win an electoral vote since George Wallace in 1968. And there's a good reason why Wallace won votes is because he was a regional candidate, essentially. I mean, he ran yeah. nationally, but yeah. um, but he had a lot of regional strength and sort of a white backlash in the South. Right. Um, I think in order to actually get electoral votes as a major, as a third-party candidate, 
you need you probably need to have some sort of regional appeal. Like for instance, in 2016, you had um, Evan McMullen who right. got basic very little nationally, but he did get a significant share of the vote <laughs> in Utah um, because Utah, you know, heavily Mormon state. Yeah, um, McMullen was Mormon, and also they didn't really like Trump that much. But um, you know, Schultz could maybe get. You know, some right. some percentage of the vote nationally, right. but you wouldn't expect him to win any electoral votes. Right. Ross Perot, I think, got 19 percent of the vote, but he got not did not get That's one right. electoral vote. All right. So the reason I mentioned Schultz is one Schultz is one of those people saying I can't run as a Democrat because the Democratic Party has moved too far to the left. They're even talking about putting an extra tax on billionaires. And so Elizabeth Warren has talked about that. Uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez has talked about a tax on a 70% income tax, on any income above $10 million. So it doesn't kick in until you get up to that threshold. And that means that Democratic parties become too far, gone too far left, it's the Socialist Party, all that kind of stuff. And yet, there's one to my question. Recently, Fox did a poll, and they showed that in the Fox poll, 70% of Americans support higher taxes on $10 million and above, including 54% of Republicans. This morning, Politico, Morning Consult, has a new poll out. 76% of Americans say that the wealthiest of Americans should pay more taxes. So has the Democratic Party on that issue moved too far to the left? Uh, well, you know, I think that I find that stunning. I, well, and also, you you know, you go back and look at the tax bracket over time, and certainly the highest the highest tax bracket was a lot higher than than you know I don't know before it was in before the 90s with, yeah uh, right and, with John F Kennedy right him and yeah. um and and yeah I can't at imagine that, that there at would that tier at that, that level yeah that there would be public support for um you know for for this sort of this sort of uh, tax proposal and, and one that one that I think is specifically targeted at. Um, you know the the one percent of the one percent, or however you, yeah. however you want to yeah. you want to put it. Uh, so yeah, and I you know uh, uh, I don't necessarily know if that would be that unpopular. I will say that um, in terms of a move to the left, you know Kamala Harris did that uh, that that uh, town hall with CNN. Uh, I think it was mm-hmm. like a week ago, and you know she was asked about Medicare for all, and she said she supported it, and also that you know she basically suggested you do away with with private insurance, and she sort of had to walk that back a little bit. Um, and that's a you know the Medicare for all issue is one that sort of what happens in polling is that the idea, the overall idea polls fine, polls pretty well actually, but once you get into the details of it, as we found with all these healthcare battles over the years, it starts to lose support pretty quickly. Um, so that's the that's the challenge. And and if you're gonna, I think if you're gonna make the argument that the Democrats are going too far left, the better argument would be talking about Medicare for all, not necessarily the the ta- high tax on the tax on the rich thing, which is also Democrats well, have talked about maybe not that specific proposal, but they've talked about that for a long time. Medicare for all is certainly uh, a, a very appealing concept, and I believe the right concept. But it you're right, it the the devil's in the details right. as always. Pete Buttigieg, mayor of a uh, uh, South Bend, a uh, Democratic candidate for president, uh, said over the weekend that the, it, the, does, Medicare for all does not mean private insurance disappears. Right. And I think he's right about that, too, because I'm sure there will be insurance companies and people who prefer to buy private insurance company will always have that option. So to that extent, he's right. And then Sherrod Brown, Peter, said something about Medicare for all, which I find found a little troubling. Yeah, he, this really bothered me because he said that he it's not practical 
It's it, Medicare for all is not going to work. Right. So he said, let to stick to Medicare down to 55. Yeah. Which was Hillary's position in 2016, as I recall. Mm-hmm. It surprised me that Sherrod Brown wasn't a little more. Yeah, I was really shocked by that. Generous than that. But it, it's so they're all trying to maybe define Medicare for all in their own way. Right. And uh, it's interesting that Sherrod Brown has been, you know, one of the more consistent liberals in Washington. And he's been in Congress, I think, since his early 90s. And yet I think he's actually going to be sort of portrayed almost as a centrist in this field. So, I mean, I guess from that perspective, maybe, you know, I think maybe you can say that, that, that the, the party's moving left. Uh, because, you know, if if but, if, Sher- if Sherrod Brown is not the most liberal or one of the most liberal people in the field, that I think that does indicate a pretty collectively liberal group of presidential candidates. Mm-hmm. Um, and but if you look at that poll, the Fox and the political poll, um, maybe the country's moving left, too, at least on that issue. You know, this does happen uh, when, you know, public opinion since World War Two, basically it's, it, in a nutshell, is that. When you have a conservative Republican administration, the public tends to get more liberal on issues and it shows up in the polling. And the same thing is true uh, if you look at polling, you know, during Obama's administration, um, support for sort of big picture liberal ideas kind of kind of drops a little bit. And so actually this probably is the time for the Democrats to be pushing left a little bit because the public is probably a little bit more open to it because what they're what they've been getting from Washington for the last two years is conservative Republican governance. Right. Uh, I promise last question. We'll let you go. Uh, is Donald Trump going to have a challenge in 2020? Yeah, I think so. Really? I think so. I don't know how credible that challenge will be. Uh, but, you know, the one guy who's who's making some noise now sort of behind the scenes is Larry Hogan, the governor of Maryland, who uh, is kind of a centrist, although I, I don't. You know, he is not sort of uh, has uh, no national profile. No, he doesn't. Although to me, that's good for him. Because look at what's happened to um, uh, guys like Jeff Flake and John Kasich in the Republican Party because oh, yeah. they have become yeah. national Trump critics. Their numbers have become awful. And so, you know, that might happen to Hogan, too, if he were to challenge the president. I think he need, Hogan needs to figure out a way to criticize the president without <laughs> turning off the Republican electorate, which seems really hard. Uh, but that's the needle you would have to thread. All right, Peter, it's your man, Larry Hogan. Yeah, you know, it's, my, it's my Montgomery governor, County. <laughs> for better or worse. <laughs> All right. Man, I got to tell you, we have so much, so much to cover. We covered a lot of ground, but there's a lot more left. So you got to come back soon. Kyle Absolutely. Kondik. Uh, down at the University of Virginia. People can follow you online. How? Uh, Centerforpolitics.org backslash crystal ball. Centerforpolitics.org backslash crystal ball, all in one word. Kyle Koenig, thanks so much. Thanks, Bill. All right, we'll take a quick break, and we'll come back and catch up with some of the rest of the news of the day this Monday, February 4th. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. Happy Monday, Monday, February 4th. Good to see you, everybody. Thanks so much for joining the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. I uh, hope you had a good weekend. Uh, and a little shout-out to uh, Jason Dick for filling in on a Friday. We're brought to you today by, coming to you from Washington, as I said, our studio on Capitol Hill, and brought to you today by the Laborers International Union of North America, under the leadership of President Terry O'Sullivan, members of the Laborers Union, men and women strong, building a better America. That's their website, Liuna, L-I-U-N-A, buildsamerica.org. Check it out. We thank them for their good work and for their support of the uh, program. 
Uh, again, a little different format, starting out with a guest today with uh, Kyle Kondik from the Uni- University of Virginia Center for Politics, and now give us a chance to talk uh, and, and, and touch on some of the other stories of the day. Uh, Donald Trump coming back last night to the White House after spending the first weekend since Thanksgiving down at Mar-a-Lago. Of course, he was a captive of the shutdown. He was forced to stay in the White House and whined about it the whole time. He made a point of not leaving the White House. Remember Jimmy, Jimmy Carter did that at one time? And everybody accused him of being the prisoner of the Rose Garden yeah. or something and made fun of him. Donald Trump just did the same thing foolishly. But. Did, you, did you see the photo that he tweeted out that, uh, uh, that, <laughs> that, that, that they got a photo of Trump playing golf with yeah. Jack Nicholas and uh, Tiger Woods? Tiger Woods, right. Yeah. And, which we knew Jack Nicholas was a big Trump supporter. I did not see that coming from Tiger Woods. He's played with him before. He has played with him before. Donald yeah. Trump said, Everyone is asking. He tweeted this yesterday. Yeah. Everyone is asking how Tiger played yesterday. Right, right. The answer is great. He was long, straight, and putted fantastically well. He shot a 64. Tiger is back and will be winning majors again. Not surprisingly, Jack also played really well. His putting is amazing. Jack and Tiger <laughs> like each other. President of the United States. President of the United just, States. Just, yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the way, yeah. on that point, I, I was going to mention, this is, um, by the way, uh, without um, our good friend from CBS, Mark Noller, I've lost count, uh, but it's over 150 times in, in two years that Donald Trump has played golf. I mean, he played both days this weekend, uh, even though it was raining down in Florida a little bit, but Saturday and Sunday, over 150 times, far, far, far far outpacing Barack Obama, whom he criticized unmercifully as a candidate for playing too much golf. Yeah, as yeah. you just said, you know, he didn't he didn't play during the shutdown. That that was yeah, right. Oh yeah. That was That's a right. real drought yeah. for him. And, and by the way, uh, everybody says, and I'm going to believe it, that uh, Donald Trump, uh like Bill Clinton, does take the occasional mulligan, but that he is a good golfer and and shoots in the eighties. Well he plays okay. enough. He better he, be good. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. I wish you played more golf actually and spent less time in the White House. But that's the other thing. I don't want you to spend uh, to feel too sorry for the time that he spends in the White House. Uh our good friend from uh Axios, Jonathan Swan, reports this morning that actually the president we talked about this before, the so called executive time. Okay. Now, you and I have executive time, too, but we just don't call it that. Executive time is when we just veg out, lie on the couch, like with a beer or with a Diet Coke or whatever, and basically just turn on the TV and just do nothing. Turn off. Turn off. Just turn off your brain. Just turn off, right. Uh, Donald Trump does that a lot. He starts out his day with average Five hours uh, executive time. Uh, his, his official schedule shows that he's in the Oval Office. That just doesn't show what he's up to. The fact is, and I know this, even knew this, and we we'd heard this even before Jonathan Swan reported. He's not in the Oval Office. He's in the executive mansion, in his pajamas, in bed, watching TV, tweeting, and talking on the telephone. That's his executive time, and he has spent. So far, uh, 60, well, they took a look, a real close look at the last three months. Donald Trump has spent 
over 60% of his scheduled time over the last three months in unstructured, quote, executive time. So he never comes into the Oval Office until around 11 or 11.30, pardon me, at which time he will have, you know, they'll schedule some BS lunch with the Secretary of State or Mike Pence. That's Mike Pence's job. He's to be down the hall from the Oval Office on call, ready to jump in and have lunch with the president if they can't find anybody else who's willing to have lunch with him. Uh, Mike Pence fills the gap there. Uh, That's his main job as vice president of the United States. Um, So just think about that, uh, what we're getting for, for president. I mean, in a sense, we should be happy that he's not doing maybe other, other, screwing up other things, uh, but I don't think we're getting our dollar's worth of time out of uh, Donald Trump, who, by the way, also said that um, all the work of the new commission that was formed by partisan commission in the Congress to come up with during these three weeks where the government is back to work this temporary interlude between maybe two shutdowns, Uh, this committee that was formed and I had his first meeting last week, Donald Trump said they're wasting their time. Uh, They might as well not even meet because he knows they're not going to come up with money for the wall. So therefore, uh, he's ready to just um, declare, he's he's threatened this before, uh, declare an emergency declaration, make an emergency declaration, and get money from somewhere else and build the wall. Um, Trump also, the president also gave a very interesting interview to Margaret Brennan of CBS over the weekend, where, among other things, he did talk about this, uh, yeah, why he would be justified in making an emergency declaration of national emergency. It's national emergency. It's other things. And, you know, there have been plenty national emergencies called And this really is an invasion of our country. Still at it. Invasion of our country. More caravans are coming up. Yeah, he was tweeting about the caravans again. Got to build a wall. Got to build a wall. Uh, She asked him about the upcoming North Korean summit. When are we, uh, when are we going to, when's it going to take place? Uh, I won't tell you yet, but you'll be finding out probably State of the Union or shortly before. But the meeting is set. He's looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. We've made tremendous progress. Yeah, tremendous progress. Uh, It's hard to say what progress was made because North Korea has not destroyed any missiles. They're still making them. Um, We keep discovering new sites, missile sites. They may not have tested any, but they haven't reduced their nuclear weapons program at all. Donald Trump still says it's a success. Uh, Look, it is good that they're talking. They're going to have another summit. We'll find out when, probably next month. Um, As far as getting out of there is criticism by some Republicans in the Senate, including Mitch McConnell, that we should not be pulling out of Syria, should not be pulling out of Afghanistan because there are still terrorist forces there. Uh, Donald Trump says you're never going to get rid of all these terrorists. There will always be these hot spots. You're going to always have pockets of something. Mm-hmm. You're going to have people like the one-armed man who blew up a restaurant. You're going to have pockets, but you're not going to keep armies there because you have a few people. 
Donald Trump said. If another we pull out, more problems develop, we can always go back in. Easier said than done. How about this interview went all over the place. Um, how about Roger Stone? What do you think? Uh, is he uh, maybe a, a likely candidate for a presidential pardon? Would you pardon him? I have not thought about it. Uh, it looks like he's defending himself very well. Yeah, okay. Have not thought about it. That's oh, a yeah, lie. right. That's a lie. Mm, of course yeah. he's thought about it. And also the second part of that, I think he's defending himself very well. Really? You think so? Yeah. I, gosh, he's <laughs> in the minority on that one. I, absolutely. Right. Um, and then maybe the most interesting th- thing he said in the entire – now, this was the um, interview, of course, that that the network, whatever network carries the Super Bowl, gets the presidential interview. At least he's keeping some traditions alive. Right. <laughs> so, so obviously there should be a question about football. And there was, but a different kind of question, not so much about the NFL, but about his son, Barron. Would you let your son, Barron, play football? Uh, it's very, it's a very tough question. It's a very good question. If he wanted to, yes. Would I steer him that way? Uh, no, I wouldn't. The president did say that Barron plays a lot of soccer, uh, enjoys soccer, um, fine, but um, football, he'd rather, he'd rather not, which I think is very instructive and he he pointed out the president pointed out that there are NFL players who say they would not want their sons to be playing football. Yeah. Look, every once in a blue moon Donald Trump is correct. <laughs> and he is correct here. Right. Uh again, the president's big moment this week is going to be um the state of the union address uh where the White House told us White House reporters in a conference call on Friday The president's theme is going to be, this is almost laugh out loud funny, the man who has been the most, by all accounts, the most divisive president in the history of this country that specializes in dividing Americans uh, against each other and pitting Americans against each other. Uh, He says, they say that his theme this year is going to be a theme of unity. We have to come together and we have to work together. He says this in the wake of <laughs> refusing to compromise at all with Democrats in order to end the government shutdown for 35 days. And he says this in the wake of a, a tweet that he did yesterday. So this is Tuesday's the State of the Union where he's going to ask everybody to come together, kumbaya, let's all work together together. And he puts out this tweet on Sunday, quote, with caravans marching through Mexico and toward our country, Republicans must be prepared to do whatever is necessary for strong, all caps, border security. Continues, Dems do nothing. If there is no wall, there is no security. Human trafficking, drugs, and criminals of all dimensions keep out. Yes, this is the great unifier. Says yes. Republicans got to build the wall. Democrats, they're the ones who want open borders, drugs, criminals, rapists, sexual assault, on and on and on. Yeah. Uh, that message <clears throat> may not fly so well on Tuesday. And for the first time, of course, Tuesday night, 
the president will have a Democrat sitting over his shoulder. Uh, the body language of <clears throat> Donald Trump and Nancy Pelosi and the freshman members of Congress is going to be very, very interesting to watch. Uh, one thing that got lost over the weekend, I'm sorry to say, is that I know Donald Trump's tweets are important. I know that uh, what's happening in Virginia with Ralph Northam uh, is important. We talked with that about uh, to Kyle Kontek about that. We'll talk to Peter Fenmore about that in the next half hour. But you know what? More important than all of that is something that happened Friday that totally got lost, and that is that Secretary of State George uh, Mike Pompeo announced that the United States was withdrawing from the INF Treaty signed by Ronald Reagan and Mikhail Gorbachev in 1987. So this is, let me just say, if I dare, that I think the fact that we are closer to the brink of nuclear annihilation may be more important than the latest Donald Trump tweet. It may be even more important than whether Ralph Northam remains as governor of Virginia. This is pretty scary, and it's something that we ought to be frightened about because this was one of the, one of the first of several treaties to reduce the um, production uh, of nuclear weapons, long-range and intermediate. These are the intermediate ones, the INF. Uh, weapon on the part of both Russia and the United States. Now, it didn't include India, didn't include China, didn't include Israel, didn't include Pakistan, but most of the nuclear weapons are held by Russia and the United States, and this set the tone. This brought us back from the Cold War and the insane nuclear arms race. But what this means by pulling out of the INF is we're back in the nuclear arms business. This is the beginning of a new nuclear arms race because if we start producing more nuclear weapons, which we are doing, Russia is going to do the same thing and then China and everybody else. We cannot ask North Korea to abandon this nuclear weapons program when we're doing just the opposite. That, that doesn't add up. That, that was my take on this. I mean, no. here, here we are trying to engage all these other countries. You've in- got to, yeah abandoning their nuclear weapons and their nuclear programs. And look at what we're doing. Nuclear weapons, here's our message. Nuclear weapons are bad. They're dangerous to, to, to human civilization. So you've got to give up your nuclear weapons. But we're going to make as many more as we want to. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? People are just going to laugh in our face. And I had the chance, uh, the honor, actually, Saturday, of interviewing former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright at the great museum here uh, in Washington, D.C., and I asked her about this, and she pointed out that this has become a pattern on the part of the Trump administration. Okay, even under President Obama, he accused the Russians of not living up to all the terms of this INF Treaty, and they've accused us of violating the INF Treaty. So what do you do when you have some differences like that? You sit down, you negotiate, you use diplomacy, you work those, you try to work those differences out in order to maintain the purpose of that treaty. Instead, we think the Russians may be cheating. We abandon the treaty. Get the pattern. Uh, we had, we thought we had some that I uh, that Iran 
was not complying with the nuclear weapons agreement, what do we do? We didn't try to fix it. We just pulled out of it. The Paris Climate Accords. We said not everybody is part of this. It's not perfect. What do we do? Instead of trying to fix it, we pull out of it. NATO. Got some problems with NATO? There were some problems with NATO. What do we try to do? Try to fix it? Work with Mexico and Canada to get a better NATO? No. We pull out of it. But by, by, by international agreement after international agreement, the Trump administration is wrecking all of them, just pulling out of them, destroying them, and putting us right back in some, in this case, uh, in this uh, nuclear arms race, which um, is the, is the uh, very, very dangerous for, not for this country, but for humanity. We are again, uh, we are again launching a new nuclear arms race, and it started Friday, almost got no attention in the media, uh, and I think it's at least worth mentioning and should scare the hell out of us. Meanwhile, on the 2020 front, yeah, one more jumped in. By my count, he is the fourth United States senator, Cory Booker, joining Kamala Harris, Kirsten Gillibrand, and Elizabeth Warren. Anybody else? Senators that are officially in, officially uh, in, no, no, not that I can think. We of, expect no. Sherrod Brown and Amy Klobuchar and Bernie Sanders, of course, but he's the fourth senator officially to jump in, the second African American to jump in. He did so um, in front of his house, not a great big crowd, just in front of his house in Newark, New Jersey, with a bunch of reporters saying that he is the person he thinks who again. Uh, can bring people together to work together and solve problems. I now know of a test case that we can do things other people don't think we can do when we pull together. And, and that's our history. American history is a perpetual testimony to the achievement of impossible things when we do them together. He had, uh, a, he had a statement on, on Friday that his campaign was going to be the, uh, their theme. Love. 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 All you need is love. I guess. Well... <laughs> We'll see. Right. Uh, Cory Booker, afraid that uh, people are losing faith in America. That's not the way it ought to be. So many Americans are losing faith in, in this country's ability to work for them. People are feeling left out, left behind. And I think a lot of folks are beginning to feel that the forces that are tearing us apart in this country are stronger than the forces that tie us together. I, I don't believe that. One other man who's already, Cory Booker, good good man, by the way, and uh, he's very inspiring and he's very articulate, um, uh, great great in front of a crowd, um, and I think he'll have a good run. Um, it's a good field so far. Um, Pete Buttigieg has been a guest in our studio, um, ran for Democratic National Chair last year. Still, I think he's the outgoing mayor of um, South Bend, Indiana. I uh, was on one of the big shows, Sunday shows yesterday, and uh, pointed out that yeah, it's a big uh, leap for me, but I'm not the only one. Look, I get the audacity of somebody like me uh, talking about running for this office, but frankly, uh, it's a leap for anybody, anybody who arrives behind that desk. Uh, a good man. has been a good mayor. He's got a good message. Uh, he's uh, young. 30, is he 39? 39. Even? He is 39 and the first openly gay man to run for president. Uh, and she had a, sort of announced before, but didn't quite get off the ground. So she tried it again over the weekend in Hawaii. Here she is, Tulsi Gabbard. And it is in this spirit that today I announce my candidacy for president of the United States of America. Peter Fenn, Democratic strategist, is going to join us for the next hour. And uh, we'll get into more of the 2020 news and also 
uh, talk about uh, Ralph Northam in Virginia. Uh, but I just got to tell you, uh, just uh, wrapping up this hour, so Thursday night I went to a book signing here in Washington, D.C., believe it or not, by the former governor of New Jersey, Chris Christie. I mentioned this in the terms of presidential candidates because this is a man who should have run in 2012 and didn't. It's a classic case of somebody, everything was all set for him, the top of his game in 2012 and didn't. Uh, but I have to tell you, uh, the book is called Let Me Finish. I'm Finding a Fascinating Read, uh, Chris Christie. And boy, does he trash Jared Kushner, Steve Bannon, and Mike Pence. Worth the read in itself. Along the way, of course, he insists that he did nothing wrong in Bridgegate. He didn't know anything about it. Yeah. Uh, I'm just gonna, so there's a lot of the BS you have to put up with to get some of the juicy uh, insights into the Trump campaign when he was fired, remember, as a transition chief. It's a fun book. Peter Fenn joins us next. Stay tuned. We'll be right this back. is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show. Or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show. And on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. It was the most boring Super Bowl ever, and Donald Trump's team won. God, what a disaster. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? It's The Bill Press Show here on a Monday, February 4. Great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend. I didn't see up too late last night with all the partying. And are ready to go into a great big week here uh, where the future of the state of Virginia hangs in the balance today. Will Ralph Northam stick to it or will he step down, do the right thing and step down? And meanwhile, what's Donald Trump's message to the nation tomorrow in the State of the Union with Nancy Pelosi sitting right behind him? So much to talk about. Uh, we want to hear from you and your comments on the news of the day, of course, on Twitter uh, at BP Show. Um, and to help us through the news of the day here, joining us back as a friend of Bill, my, for the first time this year, actually, Democratic strategist, good friend, Peter Fenn. Peter, good to see you. Great to be here, Bill. These are wild always, times, huh? This is totally crazy. What's the latest crazy. count in... Uh, of Democrats running for president? Yeah, yeah, we, right. Well, I was, a, I mean, I was coming well on your show. double digits. I was going to come on your show today to announce my candidacy. I, <laughs> well, I figured, you know, what the hell? We got a bunch of gray hairs. Let's get going here. I got to get out there. And gray hairs are back. Yeah. Or are, 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 are in, right? Yeah, I mean, right, right now, it doesn't matter if you got gray hair. You yeah. can still run. It doesn't matter yeah, how late. Yeah. Well, if you, if you 
were to say you were not running, you would be the only Democrat I know who is not <laughs> running, right? I mean, well, a certain uh, mayor of uh, Los Angeles decided he, he decided not to. That's which right. Which is probably a wise move, to be honest. Yes, yeah, good guy though. Good, very good guy. Yeah. But you He'll know, be, he's got other fish to fry. He's pretty busy right now solving uh, the education problem. Uh, he does, Angeles. and he's got years ahead of him too. He does. Uh, As he said, Garcetti twenty forty. Yeah, there you go. Garcetti twenty forty. All right. All of that to get into with you. Send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Peter and I will get jump into it. But first, this is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Headlines Just a couple here. of other stories making news. So if you were on social media over the weekend, you probably saw some of the video from the Metropolitan Detention Center in Brooklyn, New York. The prisoners lost power in the entire prison. Remember, yeah. it was a polar vortex last week. And they went for days without heat there in the prison. Uh, people who were passing by, they were the prisoners were all pounding on the walls and the windows so that if you were walking on the street down below, you could hear mm. all of them in unison just banging on their windows because they were freezing. Well, just an update. Last night, they did... Fix it. Power has been restored oh, to the inmates. A week later? Yeah, it, it was a really grim story. There were lots of protests outside uh, uh, last week to try and, and bring attention to it. But the video is shocking of, of these yeah. guys just you know, beating on the, on the walls just to try and get somebody to listen. While we're talking about uh, detention centers and criminals, uh, we go to Texas where there was an escaped inmate over the weekend, Bill. There was a guy who was on a prisoner transport van in yeah. Texas. They stopped at a McDonald's. Stopped at a McDonald's. That was their problem. And mistake. he hightailed it. He got out of there. He made a run for it, and he, he actually got away for a little while. He was free for about nine hours. Uh, they, they arrested the guy. Uh, his name was Cedric Marks. Very bad guy, uh, convicted of killing two people a couple years ago. Um, but he's back in custody. Everything is fine. Everything is back to normal. And you mentioned the Super Bowl. Uh, I know Peter's a big fan of the Patriots. He's happy this morning. Uh, well, yeah, I have to say that's my uh, that's my home team. <laughs> that's your team, right? Yeah, right. So congratulations cool. to the Patriots. Donald Trump and Peter Fenn are both very yeah. happy. <laughs> well, that, that wouldn't but, jump put me in that category. Won. I just have to point out, you know, they did win. Uh, it was boring. It was one touchdown that came in the fourth quarter. Uh, Julian Edelman won MVP, who's the wide receiver, which is weird that it wasn't, you know, one of the kickers yeah, to yeah. win <laughs> MVP since there were so many field goals in the game. Uh, six Super Bowl for Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. And you got to say, said, that's a big deal. Tom yeah. Brady said at the end of the game, he'll be back next season. <laughs> the yeah. ageless Tom Brady. Yeah. Okay, I got to eat what he eats. Yeah, I right. Don't well, I don't know. That diet of his yeah, is pretty weird. rugged. This is the Bill Press Show. And uh, the nation gears up for the State of the Union. What is the State of the Union? Well, we'll find out Donald Trump's take on it on Tuesday night and the Democrats' take on it from the great Stacey Abrams from Georgia. Hello, everybody. Good to see you today on this Monday, Monday, February 4. Thanks so much for joining us. Hope you had a good weekend and are ready to dive into the news of the day. That's our job to tell you what's going on, which we will on every front, both uh, with the latest here from Washington, around the country, and around the globe. 
We'll bring the news to you. You tell us what you think about it all by sending us your comments on Twitter as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And don't forget, check out our podcast and sign up for the podcast. Podcast keeps growing, um, but unless you sign up, you won't be getting all the extra content that we put up there. We're, we're with you on the radio in Chicago, in the greater Chicago area on WCPT and nationwide, of course, uh, not only on YouTube, but on Free Speech TV. Here in studio with us is a friend of Bill for the hour, Peter Fenn, a Democratic strategist and president of Fenn Communications Group. Peter, it's always good to see you. It's great always to be here, Bill. Let's start times. out with. Uh, By the way, my schedule usually is. Yeah, I don't, you know, appear in places till eleven, eleven thirty. You know, then I oh, have a lunch with the right. vice president. Then I got to take a little nap and oh, you do have some twittering and executive, you know, executive I, I, I have time. executive time, oh, and yeah. I'm here pretty early for you. You, you know, until- and the last three months, you look at my <laughs> schedule, you find, you know, it's uh, <laughs> a lot of executive time. Yeah, Jonathan Swan reporting on Axios that the president has spent uh, for the last three months over sixty percent of his time in so-called. Watching TV. That's what it is. Watching Watching TV, TV. tweeting, and making phone calls. And the amazing thing. Lying around in his pajamas and drinking uh, Diet Coke. About this is that this is not something that's new. You know, I mean, you you, you cover the White House, you're there, you know. But, you know, folks would tell me this all the time. I mean, folks within the White House. I mean, they were just appalled by it. High level people. You know, who said, and, and it isn't like he's got briefing papers that he reads. No. It isn't like he's studying an issue to find out, hey, what's going on in Iraq? What should I do? Oh, we're going to leave our troops here because we need to look and see what Iran's doing. Like, we have drones, pal. We have stuff in there. I mean, this guy is so clueless. The notion that he is president of the United States He is, is AOL, right? He is totally or AOL. A- absent without leave? Is it? AWOL. AWOL, A-W-O-L, that's yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absent without. But no, totally on all the issues. I mean, so you're right. I'm part of the White House press corps, which means I don't go there anymore because there are no briefings, right? right. And because nothing's going on. So once a month they have a briefing, maybe. Um, but So I get a schedule every day. A day. We talk about it here. Day after day after day, there is nothing on his schedule except maybe a lunch with either Mike Pence, Pence or... Uh, Mike Pompeo, you know, as I said earlier, they they sort of their job now is to stand by, to fill a slot on the schedule if needed, and if he has any one event, and it's usually only one, either morning or afternoon, usually afternoon, it's related to the border. Otherwise, he is checked out. You're right. Iraq, Iran, Syria, climate change, transportation, infrastructure, whatever issue. Mm. And heaven Not forbid, there. I mean, there. every crisis that we've had since he's been president of the United States was self-imposed. Heaven forbid we have some serious problem that requires not a leader. He's not equipped to handle He's not it. equipped, and the administration is not equipped. No, no I mean, you, knew, you used to say, well, God, thank goodness they got Madison there to run the defense department. Oh, gee, thank goodness McMaster's over there at the NSC. There aren't any adults left in the building. No. They're all gone. In the beginning, everybody said, well, Trump is kind of out of control, but it's okay because we have uh, Gary Cohn, James Mattis, Rex Tillerson, and H.R. McMaster. They're the grown-ups. Right. So 
They're all right. gone. They're all gone. And he all hires gone. people he sees on TV. That's who he hires to work for him. Right. Ooh. Anyway. All right. How long does Ralph Northam survive as governor of Virginia, and what should he do? Well, I tell you, this is uh, this is just heartbreaking for a lot of people. Um, my sense of this bill is that he's probably gone within twenty four hours. Um, you know, this is not sustainable. Uh, it is heartbreaking, terms, by the it way. It is heartbreaking because you know he. It, it he, was he, so heartening when he won in right. November twenty seventeen right. in Virginia. And and the and the moves Comes by back. and large that he's been making since he's been governor, yeah, we, you know, we're all pretty we now darn have med- we now have, we have Medicaid in Virginia thanks to Ralph Northam. But no. I just think it's very difficult for him to to uh, to to govern in this kind of situation. And the sad part about it is that this is this is such a horrible thing. Uh, the picture is horrible. The way he's dealt with it. First, to, you know, he apologized for it. Then he said, well, wait a minute, it wasn't me. And now, you know, it's 35 years. I mean, that is a fairly long time, true. We have 35 days with a certain congressman named King from uh, yeah. uh, uh, Iowa. And the Republicans are wonderful on this. You know, they'd strip him of his committee assignments. But have they called for his resignation? Most of them, hell no. No. And come on, let's get real here. But, you yeah. know, I just, I think, I think this is something that, uh, that, 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 that is not uh, in, in 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 today's environment in any kind of environment. It's 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 reprehensible. You know, it, it it is worth bringing up the Steve King stuff, and I'm not. You know, there's a major difference between the Democratic Party and the Republican Party on a whole. When the Republicans say something that are blatantly, clearly racist. They rally behind them and find a way to save them, or they uh, do a slap on the wrist, or a slap know, on the wrist. They, sure. they make a statement just to to put it out there, sure, but not for any real action. This, you know, well, they, they, they but, I mean, I think King is going to be gone, hopefully, in the next sure. cycle. But, but, so but the people but look of at, Iowa, though, the people who will right, who will reject him, not right. not not the, not, not the, the leadership, not the leadership. But right. but look at how the Democrats are handling this Northam situation. Uh, Jim Moran is the only person that I've seen, former congressman from yes. Virginia, is the only person, the only person that is a member of the Democratic Party that I've seen actually defend him and say, give the benefit of the doubt, let's wait for this to work itself That's out. That's why he's all over the cable news this morning, Jim Moran, because he's the only one. He's right. the only one. The only Democrat. He's the only one. Democrats are universally calling for him to step down. Everybody is running in 2020 is calling him at the two, I think most significantly, the two Democratic senators from Virginia, uh, who didn't originally call for him to resign, right. but then eventually Mark Especially Warner after, the next day and, and Tim Kaine after yeah. the Saturday news conference, former Governor Terry McAuliffe, right. former Governor Douglas Wilder, right. uh, the Democratic National Chair. Right. Uh, no, I mean, well, he's, and, he's got and no let's, support let's, left. Let's and, think about the optics of this for a yeah. minute. Here we have tomorrow's State of the Union address right. and the response by Stacey Abrams. How would you like to be Stacey Abrams giving the State of the Union response and taking questions having to deal with this? You, you know, or Democrats in general. How would you like to be the speaker? But and, and here's what gets me, Peter, is that I, I read a piece this morning saying, well, maybe we're being too tough on Northam because if you go back, you know, there was 
Lyndon Johnson, right? Now he passed Ooh. the Civil Rights Act, but boy, he did a lot of said a lot of racist stuff, and there was, and there was Hugo Black on the Supreme Court. Right. And they mentioned all these people, white men who had done some racing, right. but ended up doing some good things. Right. But you know, with Ralph Northam, as this was in the fifties and in the sixties, this is nineteen eighty four. Yeah. Right. Yeah. See, that I think is the toughest part of all and this. he was 25 yeah yeah he was in, in med school and and uh, you know i think that's part of the problem you know you you, you know robert seabird the former majority leader of the united states yeah. senate yeah. was a member in the in his early days of the ku klux klan well that again that was so uh, that was not the 80s but I mean, I, 1984 I, is 20 years 25 years after, or 20 years after the Civil, Civil Rights Act, Act, after the Voting Rights Act, after the March on Washington, after yeah. the assassination of Martin Luther King. This is a time when Americans right. knew what was right and what was wrong. Right. Right? right. And, 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 and even and if you grew up on the Eastern Shore, well, you knew and, and it was that's, wrong. And that's part of this is, you know, there's a cultural thing. And this is an interesting point you make about Johnson because in Robert <laughs> Robert Cairo's book, uh, about about the rise of uh, of Johnson in the fifties and sixties. You know, he cites a lot of racist comments uh, by by Johnson towards his driver, towards other people. You know, and this these folks grew up in this culture. You know, and at the same time, he's making racist remarks. He's he's creating the nineteen fifty seven Civil Rights Act in the Senate, which was for a senator from Texas. Yeah. Are you kidding? And sixty four and sixty five Civil <laughs> Rights Acts. I mean, in a sense, he's doing the right thing. And you'd have to say that about Northam. I mean, and then this is what folks who know him say. You know, since he's been in public life, public service, he's been he's been uh, excellent. And it's tough. I mean, it's tough for a guy like that. Right. But. Uh, and, and also, I mean, the, the clueless in the, in that, after saying he wasn't sure which of these two guys he was—the guy in blackface or the guy in the in the KKK outfit—the next day saying he wasn't—he was neither one of those. But then he went on to say, "But that same year, so I didn't wear blackface for my yearbook but I did. photo." But that same year, here he points out, uh, 1984 again. That same year, I did participate in a dance contest in San Antonio in which I darkened my face as part of a Michael Jackson costume. I look back now and regret that I did not understand the harmful legacy of an action like that. And then he joked and said he didn't put on much black shoe polish because... If any of you who have tried it know, it's hard to get off your face, which he wouldn't have known unless he had done it before. You I mean, it, think, no, it, it just doesn't. Uh, it just, and you know, it's not something you kind of forget. I don't think. He, you know, that's that's the problem. He, I mean, either he 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 was in the photo or he wasn't. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. You know, he he shared a, a, an interesting anecdote about how when he was on the campaign trail and he was in the car with. Um, <laughs> a staffer that worked on the campaign who was a person of color, and he told him the story about putting on uh, blackface when he dressed as Michael Jackson, and he told it in kind of a, he thought it was meant to be humorous, and the staffer said, you know, you can't do that. (laughs) And he said, oh, well, I guess that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, I... (laughs) It's hard to believe that no one ever told him that that was a bad idea. But again, yeah. he was yeah. not 
This was not in the 50s and 40s or 50s. This was not when he was a little kid. I mean, he was he was a man at this point, and, he, and it was in the 80s. He also, I don't even want to mention it, but he also had a nickname at the time, which yeah, was a know, racist that's, that's, nickname. That's the part that I wondered about. And I, Actually, it, two nicknames, evidently. Uh, uh, so. so the one thing he said that gives me a little heart is he said if he felt and discovered that he could no longer be effective, that's he would step down, and I think uh, he's got to be getting close to that I point. I think that's the crucial point, Bill. Yeah, yeah. Uh, by the way, I do want to uh, not close this part without coming back to, you know, we talked about Stephen King. Steve King, he's not the only Republican who's said and done a lot of racist things. Um, Howard Dean made this point uh, uh, over the weekend uh, on one of the shows that uh, uh, let's talk about <clears throat> the leader himself. Oh, sure there is. They're on the, on the Republicans. I mean, they, you know, they have no uh, morals at all. I mean, <laughs> you know, the Republicans are happy to ask Ralph Northam to resign. They have a much worse guy who's uh, heading, heading their party. It's ridiculous. Let's hear some of that outrage directed toward yeah. Donald Trump, too. Well, exactly. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, he's, he's, the, he's the racist in chief, in my view, to be perfectly honest. This guy has, is, is, is and, horrendous. And he's proven it over and over again. Well, and not only that, but, you know, he rails against immigrants and then makes a concerted effort with all his businesses to hire illegal immigrants. And, and now— is is firing them. firing them all without pay, without any severance with nothing, and you know you wonder about these folks. Are they going to be on the ice list? In other words, oh. you know they're out there. Their their oh. pictures are in the New York yeah. Times. Yeah, are, 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 you know, uh, are, is he going to try to deport these people who have worked for him for excuse me fifteen years? Come on, right? I mean that's just the ultimate. Peter Fenn, who is your candidate for president uh, in 2020, uh, in the de- for the Democratic nomination in 2020? I, I, I will tell you, Bill Press, I think we have a great field of candidates. I mean, anybody who's wringing their hands and saying, oh, my gosh, 20 people uh, of this group. I mean, I'm just incredibly impressed by a lot of them. You know, I like Sherrod Brown. We did some spots in Sherrod Brown's race last time. I think he's mm-hmm. terrific. I think Kamala Harris has come out of the box unbelievably strong. I think she's a she's a terrific candidate. You know, I, I, I think Cory Booker is 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 going to prove to be very impressive in some of these early states. Um, you know, I, I you know, we've got, we, you know, we've got our old, you know, your, your old friend Bernie Sanders is going to run again. I, I, I don't I think his time may be passed, to be perfectly blunt. And uh, and, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren is, you know, getting a lot of ink. And I think she needs a more upbeat message. Joe Biden, what the heck's Joe Biden going to do? And what's going to happen? I wouldn't want to be in his position, to be perfectly honest. I wouldn't want to be leading in the polls to start out this game. And the one that has his time passed. Uh, You know, a lot of people say so. I love Joe Biden. I mean, I've always loved Joe Biden. I think he's a great guy. He's, you know, he can speak to working class folks. You know, he's he's competent. He'd be a terrific uh, chief executive. Um, but, you know, I mean, if, uh, our voters, are, do they want to move forward? I mean, they don't want to look at the rearview mirror anymore. And is he in the rearview mirror? I don't know. But then again, folks say, look, we want to win this race. We want somebody who can take this guy straight on. Is Joe Biden the kind of guy that can do it? You know, or some of his malapropisms, are, are they, you know, that's nothing nowadays compared to this clown. Right. So, 
Um, you know, so I think this is very up in the air. I think any of us inside the Beltway who are, you know, who are telling everybody who the nominee is going to be are probably, uh, as usual, smoking something they shouldn't be smoking. I don't know. Uh, the, the ones that you mentioned and, and others, like Julian Castro for, for particularly, yeah. um, have, have, have done a kind of a traditional rollout with uh, little variations on the theme. Uh, and then you've got Beto O'Rourke, who's driving his pickup truck around Texas. Or yeah. I don't know where the last time I, I saw him, he was in New Mexico or somewhere. I, I, you know, I just wish. Or oh, I don't know what he, whether he's in or out. <laughs> I, I, I wish he'd won that darn Senate race. Don't I think we if all? He'd, if he'd run a better campaign, to be honest, and had professional folks making ads and really, really Which he fought refused. that right. Well, yeah, I know it. I mean, <laughs> I always get nervous about about some of these candidates who who think they, you know, whose egos are, are so strong they think they know everything and I worry about that. I also think that that uh, that he needs, you know, he needs some some seasoning on a lot of a lot of ways. I I think this business of running around a pickup truck is kind of silly to be honest. So Beto, it's the Fen Communications Group. Yeah, um, he's my new yeah, client. Yeah, you can google them <laughs> in Washington DC yeah. if you uh if you feel you, you you need some help here. Um so you know, I, I but secretly, um, I, I I realize you, the soft spot in your heart is really with uh, Howard Schultz. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I I refused to go to Starbucks to get my coffee this morning. Where this place down the street? I tell you, this guy talk about ego problems. Uh, you know, uh, if, if he were really true to himself and to, uh, to to his beliefs, he would run in the Democratic primary and, and put himself up against these folks. This business of I'm so rich I can spend $500 million of my own money and do ads and hire uh, folks, I, I'm not happy with the, with the crowd around him. I just think, you know, uh, political, look, I'm, uh, uh, you know, we all have to earn a living. But, um, you know, I think that, you know, if you... You know, and to go at Bill Burton, who worked for Obama. I mean, he wrote an op-ed saying how devastating an independent candidacy would be. Bill Burton that, did. Yes. Back in, yes. And now he's 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 supporting this. And you know, okay, Bill, you're interested in transparency. Tell us how much a month exactly. they're paying you. Yeah. All yeah. of a sudden, he's really interested in the Green Party, yeah, <laughs> meaning just it's, meaning it's, big money. And 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 you know, any way you do the math on this. It's a loser. Right. And you reelect Donald Trump. I mean, he wins just a few states in a close election and gets those electoral votes or prevents the Democrat from winning in those. I mean, we go through this all the time. You know, Jill Stein cost, you know, us this election, cost the Democrats this election. We um, what I find so fraudulent about the Schultz approach and his message is he says he's he's a lifelong Democrat. But. So he identifies more with the Democratic Party, and I think generally he does. Um, He says he can't run as a Democrat because if he ran as a Democrat, he would be forced to support taxing wealthy people like him, a a, a higher tax rate. Well, that's just so – first of all, if you run as a Democrat, that's what campaigns are all about. You say, boy – she said that. Elizabeth Warren said that. I disagree. Here's what right. I would do. Right. Right. I Make mean, his case. You're not, you're not forced to agree with everything everybody says. Make his case. And by the that way, whole thing is most so wrong. Very wealthy Democrats or people that identify with the, with the Democratic Party, you know, are more than willing to say 
this tax cut that this president put in force in the Republican Congress has been a disaster for America. Our trillion-dollar deficits, it's given the wealthy much more. Should I be, look, Bill, I got a tax break with this friggin' thing. <laughs> Should I have gotten tax breaks? Hell no. That's, you know, that I, I don't deserve that. And, and the notion, I think, that, that you can't come up with a policy uh, of equitable tax breaks if you're Howard Schultz. Look, Warren Buffett says it. Bill Gates says it. You know, people understand what the, what's happened in this country right. and that the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poorer and the middle class is totally getting screwed. Yeah, I did, so, a, I did a column on this last week. So he says... Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez says, you know, 70 percent on an income of 10 million and more. Right. OK, that's her plan. By the way, most Americans, according to two different polls that I've seen, it. even a Fox News poll agree with that. Right. But whether it's a good idea or a bad idea, it's her idea. She's a freshman member of Congress. Right. God love her. She can fight for it in Congress. Right. I think her chances of getting it passed are probably between zero and none. none. Right. But the the idea that he cannot run as a Democrat because he would have to agree with her is right. just fallacy. Right. No. It's total fallacy. It's well, just... and debate it. You know, sure. go out sure. there and Make take your, your ideas. Don't you know? And and look, I understand I his concern about the deficits. I understand. You know, I, I I just you know it doesn't feel right to me. I mean, you know, these folks who whose campaigns it's all about me. You know. Most of us have been in this business a long time. If it's all about you, you got a problem because it's about the voters. It isn't about you. About you. And, 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 and I think he's going to find this fairly quickly. That, In other words, that as he campaigns around the country and starts speaking to groups, folks will really question him. And, you know, most CEOs don't like to be questioned. And he may have a little trouble taking some of the flack that he's going to get. Yeah. And I guess it is true. He has not officially jumped in right. yet, right? Right. Right. So whether he takes that next right. leap. Well, I was surprised to see Steyer not run, to be honest, because I thought he was setting himself up for a presidential run. But he's just decided, look, you know, getting rid of Donald Trump is the most important thing. I'm going to support grassroots folks. I'm going to talk about impeachment. So that that raises an interesting question. If we're talking about billionaires, right. um, is there a lane for a Michael Bloomberg who has right. said, Running as an independent is impossible. Right. Uh, I looked at it. I know. Right. Can't be done. Right. By the way, Donald Trump looked at it. Yeah, he sure did. And decided it couldn't be done. So Bloomberg says, no, if I run, I would run as a Democrat. Is there a lane for a centrist billionaire Michael Bloomberg? Well, you know, I think it's a hard lane because I think you've got a party that's that's progressive and that's not terribly uh, embracing of billionaires running running for office who are are more on the centrist side. But I will say this, that, you know, if you've got a lot, if Joe Biden doesn't run, say, you've got a lot of progressives running, they begin to split the vote. A guy like Bloomberg, who you know, has no problem with self-financing, and he begins to catch on in some of those early states like Iowa, you know, uh, like Nevada, maybe South Carolina, 
And then you've got Super Tuesday. Now, who can run in Super Tuesday? Super Tuesday is Super Super Tuesday, Bill, because, because of your Calif- home state. Because Absolutely. California. California. Now, Camilla Harris would have a leg up there clearly for a bit, but so would her expectations. So if a bunch of, of, of progressives are splitting the vote and he begins to catch on a little bit and people say, you know, I don't agree with him on, on everything, but he's not bad. He's not a, he's not a you know, right-wing Democrat. He's a, just a, a moderate to progressive Democrat. And you know something? He took on, he took on at that convention in 2016, uh, Trump, and he ripped him to shreds. And ripped him to shreds. And he has spent billions of dollars taking on the NRA. Right. On a very, very sensitive and very effective gun safety program, Our Town, I think that's the name of it. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I so think he's this got is, some, he's got some he's things got some going juice. for him. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't not, totally write him. I didn't raise it because I'm, on, I'm endorsing no, him. No, no, me just say, I think he will could be a player. Exactly. Right. No, and I so, agree with that. boy, it's going to be an interesting time. It's going to be wild. <laughs> it's already, <laughs> it's already wild. It already and we start is. debates in June. I know. We start debates. You in know June. what? You know what? Yesterday was <laughs> one year until the Iowa caucuses. Oh Jesus. And, yeah. the, and, and the other crazy thing, which people don't understand most, is that on the day of the Iowa caucuses, the early voting begins in California in Super Tuesday. About two-thirds of the voters, as you know, Bill, vote mm-hmm. early yeah. in, in California. So that vote will start. Things are going to be happening very fast once this thing starts. Yeah. It's something I worked on a long time to try to get California up, moved up so that the primary in California counts yeah, for something. Counts instead and this of being year, in June. Yeah, and this year, instead of being the caboose, now we're you know <laughs> yeah, right, right up there in the middle right. of the train, maybe. All right. Uh, it's very, very exciting, and we've got a lot more to uh, talk about, inf- including what's happening in the Congress here with the State of the Union coming up. So Christina Marcus is going to join us from The Hill, The Hill, TheHill.com. Uh, we'll take a quick break. Be back. Peter Fenn stays as a friend of Bill. Christina Marcus joins us with all of you. And don't forget, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. Monday, February 4, The Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. We're coming at you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. It's warmed up a little bit in Washington, actually. Um, We are uh, above freezing for the first time in a while. Uh, And we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters, those good men and women of our firefighting departments. You see them rushing by you uh, every day, particularly those of us who live here on the Hill because we've got a firehouse right around the corner here, Uh, all under the nationwide under the leadership of President Harold Schaitberger, Uh, on the front lines every day protecting American families. They never let us down, and we salute them and thank them for their support of the program. Peter Fenn uh, from uh, Fenn Communication Group, a Democratic strategist here for the entire hour as a friend of Bill. Peter, always good to have you around. Thanks, Bill. With uh, now joined by Christina Marcus from The Hill, thehill thehill.com, the best source in Washington to find out what's going on either at the White House or the Congress or the federal agencies. Uh, so I have a certain bias there because, of course, I'm a columnist <laughs> for The Hill uh, on uh, Tuesdays. Christine, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Bill. Thanks for coming in. We've been at it for a little while, so before we move on, let's go back and get some comments on what we've talked about so far. Pro- you can read those biting comments about Peter Fenn. Uh, <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, sure. yeah, yeah. Lots of lots of angry tweets. Yeah, I'm sure. I, I'll, I'll, I'll let him read those. Oh, okay, right. Uh, we did get a lot of tweets about Ralph Northam, however. Uh, let's go to Dana, who asked, where are all the Kavanaugh supporters who said his life shouldn't be wrecked by his actions as a young man? Oh, right. Northam mm. is a Democrat, so it's different. Should he resign? Yes. But Kavanaugh is on the Supreme Court, so maybe not. That is according to Dana. And that is a reply to a poll that we put up about whether or not Ralph Northam should resign. You can vote. Should he resign? Yes, no, or undecided as of right now? 86% of you say yes, he should resign. 8% say no. 6% say they are undecided. You can still vote on this poll for another uh, about 23 hours. So even if you're listening to the podcast today, you can still go and vote uh, at BP Show at BP Show. Peter, one thing we didn't mention uh, in, in our conversation about Ralph Northam is one thing that makes this bitter pill maybe easier to swallow is that were Northam to step down, uh, the the governorship would automatically go to the lieutenant governor who is independently elected on his own, right. uh, young man by the name of Justin Fairfax, who is 39, uh, a Democrat, uh, former deputy U.S. attorney, and happens to be African-American and a rising star in the Democratic Party. He's right. a very right. uh, energetic, articulate, uh, so yeah, I, I, he would step up. I, I, I probably shouldn't say this, but... The cynic in me says, if you had a Republican uh, lieutenant governor, where would some of these people be on this issue? Which I think is, uh, you know, speculative, but it's it's a little little dicey. But the fact is, it is Justin Fairfax who would uh, take over, and also um, the the, Virginia is that one of those weird states. I don't know if there's any other state like it. Where you're elected governor, you got four years, and you can't it. run for right. re-election. Yeah, right, there are term limits. Yeah, crazy. One term, I mean, that's right. it. One term, and you're out, uh, which I think is insane. But that's yeah. the way it's been, and yeah. doesn't look like they're ever going to change it. Yeah. And I guess that would be true of lieutenant governor too, would it? Yeah, I don't think you can serve a second term. And most lieutenant governors, what they do is they run for governor exactly. the next time anyway. Yeah. Exactly. So it's this, uh, you know, it's this uh, revolving door. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that applied to her. So this is the big week for the State of the Union, the delayed State of the Union, Christina. It's going to be interesting to see the body language between the president and the Speaker of the House. Yes, that'll probably be one of the most fascinating parts of, of the address tomorrow. I mean, the last couple of years, whenever Trump gave an address to Congress, it was always Mike Pence and then Speaker Paul Ryan sitting behind him on the dais. But... This year we'll see Nancy Pelosi. So, on the, you know, in the past, Ryan and Pence would always stand and applaud and smile at, <laughs> at every other line Trump said. But this time you'll probably see a, a disconnect with Pence doing the same thing he always has. And Pelosi, more often than not, probably sitting there expressionless and not applauding along every line. So we were told this is in this conference call for White House reporters, I don't know whether you were on the car or not, um, Friday afternoon, that the message is going to be a message of unity, right? Bringing the country together, working together, bridging the divide. Uh, which is, uh, Peter, you're laughing. I got, I got is, a bridge yeah. to sell you. <laughs> <laughs> it is laugh out loud funny from probably yeah. the most divisive president that we've had. And then Sunday, he sort of stirred things up with this tweet on the wall where he said, with caravans marching through Mexico, 
Republicans must be prepared to do whatever is necessary for strong border security. Dems do nothing. Right. Again, this is the right. unity message. Right? Exactly. In advance. Well, so. Right. And also you have to bear in mind that his campaign has been sending out emails to supporters in recent days about the State of the Union. And it's all about Chuck and Nancy didn't want me to speak. So it's not like he's really going into this with an actual unifying message. It's any message about coming together, at least from past addresses to Congress we've seen, it's really more like telling Congress, you all should come to my side, not that right. they're, they actually want to, he wants to reach a compromise with them. Right. No, I did see one comment that he made sometime. They tried, I, I got all these email, fundraising emails, and one of them started out, they tried to stop me from speaking. Exactly. Right. No, they didn't. Right. Right. They said, we don't think it's appropriate to have a state of the union while the government is shut down. Right. 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 And he keeps referring to Democrats who want to go with me and I can bring over these Democrats. And of course, every time he says that, people are going, who are these? Who people? are they? Where are they? <laughs> exactly. Now, I mean, Name I, one. I, yeah. I, the only thing <laughs> that, you know, you wonder about in this is that, you know, he, as opposed to some of his other uh, rants. He usually sticks to the script at this kind of situation. Oh. Doesn't kind of go up, but you never can tell. I mean, he could he could do a number up there, and also, you know, it's up in the air. I think about the uh, emergency powers, whether he's going to throw that out there again and say, you know, you only have a few days left. If I don't get this wall, you know, well, yeah, watch out. What do you think about this, Christian? First of all, there's no no doubt, right, that he will say we need a wall. Yes. Right? He, right. Absolutely, he's going to call for that in his speech. Right. And that'll be interesting to see what response he gets from the House, right? Well, I'm sure you'll see people sitting on the Republican side right. stand and applaud, and Democrats will sit on their hands. Will he also say, and if I don't get the wall, I'm go- I will um, issue an emergency declaration? Do you he, think? Okay. He hinted at that on Friday when he talked to reporters. Yeah. He said, stay tuned. So he could. Mm. He might not actually declare it in the speech. He mm. might wait to give them time. But like you said, he may say, watch out. If you don't give me a deal in the next week or so, I'm going this route. Right. Um, It's hard to believe or hard to believe that he would. Usually the State of the Union is one of the many things that I think is wrong with what they've evolved into, the State of the Union addresses. Mm -hmm. But one thing is it's usually a laundry list of Mm. 59 different promises on 59 different issues. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't see that coming from Trump this time because he's been so focused on border security exclusively for the last three months, right? Yeah. Well, so is this going to be a kind of a kaleidoscope, or do you think it's going to be border security? Well, White House officials indicated on Friday that that the wall and immigration is going to be a big part of the speech and a top priority. But they did also say he would want to touch on trade policy with China and mm-hmm. abortion and prescription drug prices. So there's there actually some issues where theoretically you could get some bipartisan applause lines. But as we've seen in past State of the Unions, they make a whole laundry list, but oftentimes those things don't actually go anywhere. Right. And what about the magic word shutdown? Are we going to hear that? We could. He could go into we can't do this again or <laughs> something like that. But yeah. Um, lawmakers on Capitol Hill, at least right now, are much more focused on they really, really don't want to go through what we just mm-hmm. went through. Thirty-five day after thirty-five days, and that we, that was showing a lot more damage than some of the other recent shutdowns. 
that Capitol that occurred on Capitol Hill, and with this, the Republicans are telling him we really don't want to go the, this route again. While White House officials are not exactly ruling out the possibility. Going through, uh, I mentioned this to you earlier that I was in Nogales doing border uh, a view of the border down there this weekend, and I as I was leaving the airport in Tucson, uh, you know, I talked to the TSA agent. And I said, boy, I said, thank God you're getting your paychecks now. He said, well, yeah, for another couple of weeks maybe. And he was, you could see the pain in his face. I mean, there are folks out there who think, oh, no. I mean, I can't go through this thing again. And uh, and it, it's heartbreaking. Right. And, and uh, you know, the problem that this president has, I think, right now is he's put all his eggs in this basket. Uh, of the border, even though his intelligence chief didn't even mention it, and yet if he does this emergency thing, there may be a, there may be some uh, some interesting parts of his madness on this, and that is he knows it goes to court, right? right? And it could go through a couple years in court, so it gives him an issue for two years, which nothing really gets handled or done, but he he goes at keeps it, it constantly, keeps it alive, and that's a little scary, I so, think for. So, Christina, you said, which I've heard, too, and they've made it clear in their public comments, starting with uh, the Senate leader, Mitch McConnell, that they don't want they don't think shutdowns are a good idea. They don't they weren't happy with this one. They certainly don't want to see another one. But that still begs the question. If Donald Trump says, I don't here we are, February 15, Mm -hmm. I don't have money for the wall. I'm going to shut down the government again. Will they, would they break with him at that time or, or, or stick with him again? What are they telling you? Uh, well, Republicans are really saying this is they really don't want him to go down that route of, of declaring an emergency declaration. They're kind of taking a wait and but see approach this at this shutdown? point with the shutdown. Sh- yeah. Well, they they it's unclear what what, what they exactly they would do because they don't they're not quite at a breaking point with Trump. So it's mm. if. If he refuses, if let's say the conference committee produces something that both right. sides agree on, yeah, but Trump still which says not, include, not good enough, which does not include money for the right. wall, right? Right. It's it's not like if Trump still won't play ball with them, kind mm. of like what we saw back in right. December, right? At this point, it's not clear that they would try to override a veto or anything like that. They would kind of end up in the same position as they were two months ago. So, Peter, at some That's point, they've got to they've got to decide whether for their own political survival, right? right? They're right. going to stick with Trump over the go, walk over the cliff, or right. or pull yeah. back. Yeah, I, I, this, is just, right? this is a make or break moment. Yeah, for them. I, I think this is a, the, a situation where, when the dam breaks, the dam is really going to break. I mean, we're not going to see a trickle here. And whether it's a Mueller investigation, whether it's whether there's more follow the money on the on the Russia stuff and everything else he's been doing. Um, and then the, and the substantive policy stuff. I mean, look, they all know what kind of president he is. They know how distracted he is in meetings. They know he doesn't know anything. They know his executive time, as we discussed earlier, is most of his day where he's watching TV. I mean, they know this is dysfunctional. The question then becomes, how dysfunctional is it? Does it affect my election chances? Does it affect the Republican Party's situation down the road? And, um, you know, I mean, uh, they got to be very frustrated up there. I mean, you're closer to it than I am, you know, but I I got to believe they're very frustrated. Yeah, one, up there. Another thing they could do is they might try to they might try to pass another short term patch. 
mm-hmm. in between right. if they can't if Trump <laughs> refuses to sign on to whatever deal. Oh, that's their specialty. They do. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A month, yeah. two months, yeah. whatever. Yeah, just yeah. keep just keep putting some duct tape over. Right. right, right. <laughs> that, that's their that's their favorite strategy. Um, one interesting piece of legislation uh, that was introduced last week is legislation to require uh, everybody running for president to release their tax returns. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder who that was aimed at. <laughs> yeah, the, and the House Ways and Means Committee or subcommittee is actually holding a hearing this week on that issue. So that's this is a way for Democrats to start get the ball, start to get the ball rolling on that front. Uh, there's no doubt that will pass the House, right? Oh, sure. Like pretty much every mm-hmm. virtually every mm-hmm. Democrat has signed on to legislation requiring presidents to right. um, make public their tax returns. I it, imagine that'll get some Republican votes. Yeah, as well. no, Republicans have right. actually right. signed on to that in the past. Any chance in the Senate? Uh, well, you. I well, think a lot of Senate Republicans like the idea in theory, but obviously it's aimed at Trump. So that would be a tough vote for them. Uh, it's it says I mean every candidate, Democrat and Republican, right? So how could you say it's aimed at Trump? Yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. Uh, but I guess it depends on whether Mitch McConnell, like everything else, whether Mitch McConnell would schedule it for a vote. Right now, it's I would say it seems unlikely. It's not exactly high on his priority list. But like I said, it could get some bipartisan support. How about legislation to prohibit a shutdown, which McConnell seems to uh, be? Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, all, yeah, all the congressional leaders have actually indicated yeah. support yeah. for it. But yeah. the the problem is that there are so many different proposals. Right. Rob Portman has a bill. Mark Warner has a bill. There are some House Democratic freshmen who introduced a bill, and they all they're all slightly different from each other. So the the issue is that they're having trouble agreeing on which way to do it. Mm-hmm. But for but for a lot of lawmakers in both parties, they would like after this last shutdown, they would really like to be that for that to be off the table entirely. Well, yeah, and I mean the issue here is is more than just um, uh, shutting. It, it is shutting down the government, but it's also the uh, reaffirming the job of Congress according to right. Article One of the right. Constitution. Right. Although right. some there are some members like the ho- the chairwoman of the House Appropriations Committee, as well as Cindy Hoyer, the House Majority Leader, they actually are a bit skeptical of this idea. They're a bit of the outliers at the moment, but they argue that automatically putting the government on autopilot in this fashion, if Congress can't agree to mm. a deadline, that would incentivize lawmakers to just never really formally established how money should be authorized and appropriated. Mm-hmm. And so that would okay. yeah. that, that could potentially motivate lawmakers to just kind of throw up their hands and be like, all right, well, we can't reach a deal, so let's just leave this on autopilot. I, I, I can see that, but I've also heard members of Congress argue that it's our job to decide these spending issues and we should not, you know, uh, like they did with the War Powers Act, give it to the president right, and, and make us second stage players right. and let the president decide right. when yeah. the government's open and when it's shut down. No, that's right. our job. And let's do our job. But you know, it's so interesting because the move towards uh, equal branches of government here, legislature, <laughs> legislature asserting itself, that was really very much out of the Vietnam era. And in fact, the Emergency Powers Act was my old boss, Frank Church, and Mac Mathias were co-chairs, the only co-chairs of a committee. And they were looking at all these crazy emergency powers, which were still on the books. The Feed and Forage Act. And they got rid of a lot of this stuff, and they created this. The point was not to give the president more power. It was to make uh, the, the Congress in a co-equal branch. And, and you know, they, they were reasserting themselves during that period. And I think this is what this president doesn't care about Congress. He just as soon abolish it. Yeah. Um, you've covered Congress for a long time. Um, what 
What's it like with this this new Congress and these new feisty, yeasty freshmen <laughs> member fre- of the freshman class? Huh? Uh, well, the, first of all, the Congress look just looks a lot different when you whenever I've been sitting in the House chamber in the mm. last few weeks or so since the new Congress started, you you just I've just really been struck by how many more women there are, how many more people of color. Um, they even have the first two Muslim women in Congress. Rashida Tlaib does not wear a headscarf, mm-hmm. but Omar Ilan Omar does, and the House actually had to change their long-standing rules that had banned headwear for centuries, and they changed that specifically to accommodate her. So that's one thing that really strikes me. You see a lot more women and, and minorities walking around the hallways that you didn't. there were fewer of them before. And they speak out. I mean, right? Yeah. Are, yeah. yeah, they're really... There was always this tradition, you know, if you're a freshman, you just keep your head down right. for a couple of years and you don't make waves. Right. I mean, this crowd... Has made waves from day one. Oh yeah, yeah, they've and been. And they thrive on it. Yeah, I mean, for, during the shutdown, they repeatedly made shows of going walking over as a big to group the... over to the Senate yep. to try to pressure Mitch McConnell, or on a few days before things actually got rolling to end the shutdown, that a bunch of them walked over on and sat on the Senate floor during that vote, and. <laughs> So they they they're really good at drawing a lot of attention. Well, will they have make any substantive uh, Im- have any substantive impact? You know, on on content, and not just not just PR or uh, theatrics. Well, you see people like Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, who's already having an impact on um, pushing these much more liberal policies than many of her counterparts, or even people like. Ilan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, who I mentioned, who are um, much more openly critical of Israel than a lot of their more establishment uh, Democratic colleagues. And so that's also kind of revealed a split on Israel policy in these opening weeks of, of the new Congress. So there are already some policy areas where um, these freshmen are making an impact. Which has been the third rail, Peter, yeah. for, for Democrats, right? Yeah. Any criticism of Bet- Benjamin Netanyahu, no. Can't go there because right away, right? Yeah. You know, this is extraordinary to me. I mean, I, I'm not a big fan and never have been of Netanyahu. And and yet, um, you know, when I was working in the Senate, my old boss was, was extraordinarily positive towards Israel. I, he's no longer alive. But if he was, I think he'd be very critical of, of this situation, the peace process and the approach. And I think we're seeing a split even among the American Jewish community now in, in, in how you deal with this. And I think it's healthy. I really do. I mean, you know, this business would just go with Israel, whatever they want, whoever's in charge. Please, we're, we're way beyond that, I hope. Yeah. But they've they've really caused a stir with Republicans. Um, Lee Zeldin, who's a New York Republican, actually introduced a resolution that explicitly it's about condemning anti-Israel sentiment, but it actually specifically cites some of the things that Tlaib and Omar have said. But... You know, it's kind of gone to a pretty nasty fight already. Rashida Tlaib told me she she thinks this scrutiny that she's getting from Republicans is because she's Muslim and yeah, Palestinian. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. I, I always invite people who think it's um, uh, not kosher, if I can use that phrase, uh, to criticize uh, the government of Israel, right. uh, to invite them to go to Israel and read the Israeli newspaper. Yeah, yeah, because they criticize the government are, all the time. Well, all the time, uh, in very vicious terms. Take and very a cab ride terms. from. Yeah. Right, exactly. So it's 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 okay to be yeah. critical of of of, of Bibi, and um, it, again, it, you've covered the Congress a long time. Uh, and we saw a different kind of speaker in John Boehner and in Paul Ryan than we see in Nancy Pelosi. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, 
Part of it is that the Republican caucus was so fractured from day one in their eight-year majority that it led to Boehner and Ryan being historically pretty weak speakers. They didn't have a whole lot of control over their caucus, but Nancy Pelosi is much better at um, or centralizing power. And But she's also benefited by the fact that Republicans, in some ways, Republicans kind of operated like three parties operating as one, kind of like a little bit like a parliamentary system. But with Democrats, there, I would, there, I mean, there are some divisions, of course, but they are, are gen- at least for now, they are a bit more unified than Republicans were over the years. People have always underestimated yeah, Nancy yeah, Pelosi, yeah, yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. her political skills and her leadership skills. And boy, they've, I think they've, she's proven her already, right? Proven that she's the master politician. Right? The fact that there is, that she is the only woman to ever serve as a congressional leader in either chamber, and there still has never been a female president, and the fact that she has been in that position twice, uh, that tells you a lot about the institutions and as well as, frankly, how remarkable she is. And you know, Peter, I find interesting that Donald Trump can't seem to handle her. He, he doesn't have a nickname for her. Exactly. He's not. He's, he, I, he, you know, he's, Nancy Pelosi, I like to call her Nancy. Not like to <laughs> call her Nancy. <laughs> That's her name. I don't know what to call her. Yeah. yeah. I mean, look, three months ago, folks were saying, oh, my God, can she get elected speaker? Is this going to fall apart? You know, she could. You know, and and, 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 and you know, now you have folks who were nervous and even critical on the Democratic side of her last year saying, oh, my God, how did she do it? I mean, she's amazing. And standing up to Trump. And and that, look, that right. your visual is right. Sitting behind him tomorrow night is going to be very, very interesting. And, and, and the post-speech spin and where everybody's coming from, the strength of Nancy Pelosi is only going to get stronger, right. in my view. And then Stacey Abrams giving the response Whoa. to the State of the Union. Yeah. It's going to be remarkable, yeah. too. It'll be worth the price of mission tomorrow night. Hey, Christina, nice to see you. Thank you. We'll have to see you again soon and, and get the uh, take on the State of the Union from the other side. Nice right? seeing you, too, Bill. Thanks for having Thanks me. Thanks for coming in from the Hill, thehill.com. And there's Peter Fenn. Peter Fenn on Twitter, right? At Peter Fenn. I guess that That's is easy right. enough. Peter H. 